The first scripture is going to be in Isaiah chapter 44, starting in verses 1 through 5. And it says, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, whom I chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and will take on the name Israel. Continuing on in Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to do this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Church said, I want to make you aware, uh, next Sunday, Sharon and I will be with our family. Uh, we trade off with our extended family Christmas and Thanksgiving. We're going to be with our extended family for Thanksgiving this year, and we're really looking forward to that. Peter's going to be preaching and going to be kicking off our new sermon series that'll take us through the next month or so through the season of Christmas. We're calling it Unexpected. And we want to invite you to see your own story through the story of Jesus. Or, let me be more specific, through the story of how Jesus came to the earth. The book of Matthew starts with a genealogy. And you may spend all your time just skipping over that to get to the good stuff. But in this genealogy, although there are lots of names that you're very familiar with, and names that are very much what you would want to be there, Abraham, David, these famous people. There are also five names that you don't expect. Some of them you know. Most of them you know not for the right reasons. They are unexpected in the lineage of Jesus. Those five names are women's names. They're never included in Jewish genealogies. Women are never part of that. But Matthew wanted to highlight these names. And the reason he highlighted these names was to invite you and I to see ourselves in the story of the coming of Jesus. So I want you to look forward to that. We're going to be blessed by that time. I know Peter's been working hard on his preparations to talk about the very first mother of Jesus, the very first one. Great, 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 how many you want to say? Say it with me. Eve. And in his relation to Eve, he is human, just like you and I are. So I hope that you'll grab Matthew chapter 1 and you'll start reading. Eve's not in Matthew chapter 1. I recognize that, but it seemed it wouldn't be appropriate without starting at the first. But to look at those names and maybe do a little bit of background yourself in getting ready for that. Maybe after several weeks, life had just kind of become the same thing. Be sure, it was a vital life. It was full of prayer and worship. 
But it had been weeks, and they said, and Jesus had told them to wait, to wait in Jerusalem, and that when he came, they would know it. I don't know about you, but two or three weeks of doing the same thing, of kind of staying shut up and not really going out and do much, and not probably not working, probably not necessarily interacting with large groups of people, but the same folks together doing the same thing over and over again. Some of us can begin to wonder whether things are really ever going to change. A little bit like the way we've continually been waiting for now millennia for Jesus to come back again, something they thought would happen in the first century. But these weeks are moving along, and I don't know if they woke up on the day of Pentecost and thought, this, this, this will be the day. But I can promise you, even if they thought maybe that would be the day that the signal would come, that they were supposed to really step out in their witness and their testimony for Jesus, I will guarantee you they were not ready for what came next. Because before this day was done, they would be more amazed... I would say they would be more terrified so that they could be more of what Jesus had called them to be. It had been some three years ago that he had called them along that seashore. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I don't think any of them ever thought that they would be standing in a room in Jerusalem and hear trumpets blare and what looked like tongues of flame come upon them. And then they would begin to proclaim the gospel in every language that was represented in the city of Jerusalem. The Spirit changed everything. In a story that happens a few chapters later, we're not sure exactly the timeline, it may be months, it may be a few years later, Peter will again sort of be biding his own time, sort of uh, back in the routine of, of, of living life. He's in Joppa and he is staying with some friends and You know what? I don't know about you, but sometimes every once in a while I get hungry. I don't know why Peter went on the roof when he got hungry, but he went on the roof when he got hungry. Probably because God knew that God wanted to show him a vision that wouldn't fit inside the house. So he's up on the roof. He gets a vision. It's a vision of food. Except it's not the kind of food that you can eat. And God says, kill and eat. He says, wait a minute, I've never touched anything like that. That's unclean. That's not for me. I'm a Jew. I eat by the kosher laws in the law. And God says, no, no, no. Kill and eat. Says it three times. And then takes the sheep back up. I have no idea if Peter was still hungry when he was done. But when the vision ended, somebody knocked at the door and said, God sent us to you. And they went to Caesarea, and there they, Peter had the opportunity to preach the gospel to a group of people that, to the best of our knowledge, had never heard the gospel, or at least were never the specific audience of the gospel. And this is what he had to say. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see, the hunger and the sheet was supposed to get Peter ready for the idea that he was going to go see Gentiles. Not the kind of Gentiles that hung around in Israel. Not the kind of Gentiles that had already become proselytes of of Jewish faith. But the kind of Gentiles that came from Rome. Those nasty kind that we didn't want to have anything to do with. 
And while they were devout, they weren't sure that they were good enough for the gospel. But in every nation, Peter says, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. By the way, every once in a while when the preacher kind of gets off on a tangent and you're like, what does that have to do with the sermon? He's taking cues from Peter, right? Because Jesus is Lord of all. And and everybody said, amen. So don't blame me. Peter set the example. There we go. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all people but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses. And who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then something changes. While Peter was still speaking. Good sermon, don't you think? You ought to hear that sermon more often, right? While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Can you give me a good (gasps) gasp? That was close. Try again. Even on the Gentiles. Got it, because that's how they heard it. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is our story. Because if it weren't for this story, there wouldn't be our story. That the Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be recipients of the baptism, of forgiveness of sins, and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes everything. And there is nowhere that that is supposed to show up more than in the fellowship. The Spirit particularly makes the fellowship that Christ calls us to be possible. The passage from Isaiah says that I will pour out my spirit on you. And then 1 Thessalonians says that we are the people who God has poured that spirit on. Not just the folks that we seem to point to and say, whoa, they're they're extraordinary. But on every single one of us who have chosen to put him on in baptism, on every single one of us who've chosen to be part of the fellowship of God, who are trying to be this new carnation of Jesus in the world, The Spirit is at work. And in fact, I would say to you that the calling we have received to be the church that brings about healing in the world, that is the arms and feet of the love of Christ, that is about the process of understanding what it is to be God's holy, special, called out, drawn near to God people, 
is not possible if we are not filled by the Holy Spirit. In the same way that we, we talk about the fact that there are, God is one and yet God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When John spends in his gospel talking about much of what Jesus talks about, just before he goes to the cross, a lot of what he's talking about is the way the Holy Spirit holds he and the Father together. If you and I are bound together with Jesus Christ, if you and I are bound together as the people of God, it is the Spirit that makes that possible. And you may say, I don't see him. I'm looking for him, but I don't see him. You may even say, and again, this is not necessarily biblical language, but it's language that we've adopted. I don't feel the Holy Spirit at work in me. I just feel like ordinary old me. And that may be the case, largely because the Bible doesn't talk about the Spirit being some sort of feeling. The Spirit prompts us to act. If you decide to come together in this time, in this place, in this hour, and to join your voices with our our voices, and to lift Jesus' name up, part of what's going on is what the Spirit wants to accomplish in your life. More so, when you get that little thought, you know what, I need to call, pick a name, I need to call Betty Stark. Haven't seen her at church in a while, and I just don't want her to feel left out. I appreciated what Brian had to say. When you, when you think for just a moment, you know what, Dara and the Frasers are having a tough time. I need to check on them. That is the spirit at work, not just when we come together, but everywhere we go to be the fellowship of God, what God wants us to be. We are tied together in a way that is supernatural. And we are given the opportunity to be a people who will proclaim the name of Christ, who will bring about in our small way, Christ is the only one that will fulfill it, but to bring about evidences that point towards the new creation. That is that people that are unlovable are still loved. The people that can't defend themselves are lifted up and we take up their cause to defend their righteous cause is only possible because we have the Holy Spirit. The language for our relationship to the Spirit in the letters to the churches is oftentimes the word sealed. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, And that idea of sealing is not something that's common to our vernacular today. But in reality, any time in the in the movie Toy Story, when when Andy takes his his cowboy doll and he picks him up and he writes his name, Andy. On the bottom of his boot, you may remember that. I didn't realize it. Do you realize it was 25 years ago when that movie came out? But I'm thinking more of the young people understand that image than anybody else. Andy across the bottom meant this is mine. It is more than the idea of just purchasing it, right? It is the idea of it belonging. It, it won't ever be unbelonged. It will always be with us. And so we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. And the Holy Spirit is the seal that affirms that. We belong as part of Jesus' called people. And the Holy Spirit is the seal that says we belong to Him. And that's not going to change. And so as the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it changes us. Four quick things. One, all from the... New Testament. We are better. 
The fruits of the Spirit are something that each letter that Paul's right kind of points out. He'll, he'll make a list of things. You ought not do these things, but instead these things ought to be part of you. There's one where he particularly turns it just in one sentence. He said, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In a powerful way, don't let the world be the thing that fills you up and sends you into sin, but instead let the Spirit transform you. The fruits of the Spirit, are we are better because we are people who are filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in our life. Secondly, we are bigger. We are bigger. The teaching on the idea that the Spirit will gift us to bless the fellowship whether we are gifted with quiet, silent gifts like Jesus washing the feet and we talk about servanthood. I'm so thankful for the way I see so many people that have that gift that they don't need the accolades, they don't need to be brought out, they don't need to be talked about. But they want to serve and they do it with such joy and such happiness and it makes such a big difference. There are people who have that gift of administration. They have the ability to kind of help us see the way we're going to get things done. And we wouldn't get as much done without the servants, and we wouldn't get as much done without the people to kind of show us a good way to do it. We are bigger than we would be without the gifts of the Spirit. Three, we are bolder. If there's anything that the New Testament says over and over and over again, it is that the Spirit calls a boldness of witness and testimony to come upon the people of God. Whatever they're doing, however they do it, it more boldly proclaims that Jesus is Lord. The witness that the Spirit gives us. And finally, we are brighter. When I first started looking into this, I thought, oh, yes, yes, we are the light of the world, and so we shine a little brighter. No, 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 no. Go a different direction. Because the Spirit is said to fill us with God's wisdom. That doesn't mean that we're going to do calculus better. That doesn't mean that we're going to understand King Lear or Hamlet better. What it means is that we'll see our way into what God wants the life of the church to be in a way that is more aligned with Jesus and less aligned with what we think ought to be best. I want to pray for that Spirit to come. Because the Spirit, in summary, the Spirit transforms the abilities of the fellowship and transcends our, in, our inabilities. We are more. We are changed. We are filled with the Spirit, transformed and transcending. You may say to me, I don't see the evidence of the Spirit in my life, and I want to just give you one very practical thing. I've, I've preached many times before about calling on the Spirit, asking God to fill us. I want today to say that as part of what we say thank you to God for, is I want you to say thank you for the Spirit. You'll say thank you God for the blessings and the provisions. You'll say thank you Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for, for salvation that we, we have now and long for. But do you say thank you to the Spirit? Spirit, thank you for the fruit that pours out in my life. Spirit, thank you for the gifts you've given to me. Spirit, thank you for the way our congregation 
has greater testimony because of you. Spirit, thank you for guiding me in your wisdom. Because what I find is, is that when our lives take on a greater attitude of thanksgiving for something, we appreciate it more, and it makes a bigger impact. And while I would say that the Spirit's primary work is for the fellowship, it accomplishes that greater goal by also transforming and transcending in you and in me. The way that it impacts the fellowship is by impacting individuals. No, I don't think that the signal needs to go out that Gentiles are acceptable as Gentiles, not that they have to become Jews. So I don't expect the gift of that speaking in languages that you haven't heard before to come upon somebody so that we know we need to baptize you. Instead, that decision is yours. Do you believe that Jesus lived? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that Jesus rose again? And do you believe that he wants to bring new life to you? Then the waters of baptism are prepared. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is ready to fill you in a way that changes everything. If you're online with us and would like in any way for us to participate in a conversation that would point you more and more towards those ideas, you can send us a message at that number. I want to invite you. To say thank you. Can you say it with me? Thank you. Let's join in that common phrase. Thank you God. Can you do that? Thank you God. Now let's say one more. Thank you Jesus. Because we're just so familiar with saying that right? Thank you Jesus. But I invite you. Today. Now. To say. Father God. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Let's come and sing. I love you with the love of the Lord.